Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Adam. Yeah. Can you hear me? Of course I can hear you, Paula. Uh, Well, I am uh, in a barrel. And, oh my God, I'm so excited. I don't, it's hard to hear because of the the helicopter. I am above Niagara Falls. Yeah, I can see that. And I have a little plexiglass panel I can see out of the barrel. I'm gonna have it drop me down. Yeah. In Into the falls. Paula, Paula, before you do this. This is like the, this is the grabber of all grabbers. This is, uh, I'm so excited. Let me just say, I, before you do this, Paula, just I hang have on. Soda. Ha- tell the helicopter I, guy to hang on a second. I, can, I have no way of communicating with him, Adam. We just, I, I, we're, it's a timing thing. But Paula, yeah. you see, it breaks my heart. You're doing this every week for your grabbers, and you're hurting yourself. No, no, this is, can you, I, you can't see it, but the inside no. of this barrel is totally padded. Paula, I am, I am right now a, making s- the decision to not enable you. So you do what you want, I, but I'm going to start gonna, the show. Adam, I don't have... Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles. Can you hear me? Can you? The helicopter has released the barrel. The barrel is gone. Fuck, my suit exploded. Ah, Jesus. Yeah, you okay there, Paula? Rain in Spain. Did Bonnie just say the rain in Spain? She did, so here we go. Coming to you live from our house. Paula, you... Are you okay down there? It's the the greatest grabber of all time. That's what she says. The rain in Spain. No, but you were done. You were done. Is it too early in the show to get in a good, solid, fuck you, Bonnie Burns? Is it too early for that? It's never too early for that, Paula. Look, you you lived, and you appear to be on the Canadian side of the falls, which is interesting. Oh, yeah. I get... Okay. Start the show. I got to get my passport. There's some Mounties coming up behind you, uh, so... Ah, fuck. I get soda all over me. Maybe one of them could retrieve your leg. Ah, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, damn it. It was the first thing out of the barrel. Yeah, Dudley? Yeah, can you try to get that leg? I'll get it for you. <laughs> wow, well, that's... That's awful nice of him. Have no fear, Poundstone. I should really do a lot more international travel. I really get along with people from other lands. Yeah, yeah, you really do. I'll tell you who I don't get along with. Who's that? Fucking Bonnie Burns. I can't believe she said that. Wasn't Paula uh, gonna say rained in Spain? It's a thing about oh, that you were done? God. Yeah, that was gonna be what Paula was going to say. Right, but I just thought I'd jump in there because... You know you want to jump in somewhere? 
jump into the falls. Oh, I thought we were done. I thought maybe she forgot to say rain in Spain. That was going to be our code word for let's let's move on. And then I have to go. We go I have to, to go. Moment. I have to get out. I have to get out. I have to. Uh, Dudley, I'll be right. If you could just, <laughs> if you could just get that leg. I have it right here, Poundstone. Thank, thank you, Dudley. Rain in Spain, right, Paul? Yep, rain in Spain. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, what do the Titanic, Hurricane Katrina, and the movie version of Cats have in common? They were all catastrophes that could have been alleviated by better management. Someone to say things like, we need more sandbags on that levee. Or, maybe let's not make Dame Judy Dench look like a furry Michelin man. They could have used someone like Professor of Emergency Management and Disaster Science, Dr. Carolyn Hackrett, to dig them out. And though it might be too late for Rum Tum Tugger, she's here tonight to help the rest of us. Plus, brace yourselves, it's the return of Quote Party. I'm Adam Felber. This podcast, dutiful FEMA, dashing between conceptual ruptures to logical leaps to plug all the holes, diligently trying to prevent a worst-case scenario of the total breakdown of all sense. And now, please welcome the woman who frequently punctuates conversational catastrophes with the phrase, you're doing a heck of a job, Brownie, but only because she really likes brownies. It's Paula Poundstone. Hey. Hey, you guys. Welcome, Uh, Paula. Oh, my God. That was quite a haul. Uh, 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 Wow. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye, Poundstone. <laughs> Thanks again, Dudley. Uh, no, I'll sew it on. Don't worry. It happens all the time. I'll sew it on. Oh. <laughs> wow, Paula, wanna, you uh, seem out of breath. Yeah, I just got in from the uh, Canadian side of Niagara Falls after a helicopter dropped me down. <laughs> Would have taken longer, but... Bonnie Burns insisted the rain in Spain. Um, uh, so, hi, Adam. Hi, uh, and, and welcome. How's been? Nobody. Matt Evans on the electric guitar. Matt K. Evans is a composer and guitarist from Santa Barbara, California, who likes making things. He'll write your friend or family member a weird and amusing personalized birthday song if you contact him at Matt K. Evans Music at gmail.com. Uh, well, uh, Paula Poundstone, besides your recent trip to Canada, um, what's new? Well, Adam, such good news for nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. Annie B., Jeanette Cooley, Melissa Dennity, uh, Linda Bryan, Sharon Wertman, Trish McCrum, Julie Silber, Susan Robson, and Steve R., all nobodies, contacted us to say they've seen Thomas Coyne on uh, NBC. So thank you so much. But thanks to all of the nobodies who have worked tirelessly for the last four years flushing out Thomas Coyne. We covered the globe with places where he wasn't. 
And that's how we found him. Yeah, to recap that for our new listeners, um, way back four years ago, we had survivalist Thomas Coyne on the show to uh, tell us how to survive a bear attack, except that he never showed up. That led to, uh, of course, Bonnie Burns being attacked by a bear and not knowing what to do. But also, <laughs> uh, it led to a four-year-long manhunt for Thomas Coyne, which I thought was never well-organized because we had listeners write in at, to, about places where he wasn't. Right. It was, it was brilliant. We, we flushed him out, man. There was nowhere to run, nowhere to hide for this guy. So he was flushed out on NBC. Yeah, yeah. I think he was uh, on Sunday Today with Willie Geist. If people could write to uh, Sunday Today uh, with Willie Geist at NBC and ask them to ask him, Thomas Coyne, why he never showed up and never contacted us. We we tried, you know, emailing him and, and calling him and we ne we j he never, you know, basically uh, he was uh, early. He ghosted. Uh, he ghosted he did. us. He ghosted us before that was even a term. I think. Yeah. Um, so fantastic. So he's been found. Yeah, great work. Um, yeah, thank you, listeners. We'll find out what happens when we all write to Sunday Today with Willie Geist at NBC uh, and find out, you know, have them contact Thomas Coyne. Right, because we're not talking to him anymore. No. I mean, I don't know what he was on NBC for. I don't know what he was talking about. They probably weren't even planning on interviewing him. He just ran in there to hide. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think and so, then, Paula. Willie Geist was there and just started asking him questions. That's uh, probably and, uh, not what happened. Yeah. No, that probably is what happened, Adam. Uh, listen, I am of superior in intellect. Um, wow. Uh, okay. All right. Well, anyways, that's what's going on with me, Adam. I'm very excited about that. That's good to know. Let's go around the horn and see what's hap happening with other people. First, we'll go to Studio City where our good friend Tony Anita Hull is. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, she's Tony not, Anita Hall is missing. She's not here. She's not here. She's. Wait a minute. She's. I sense a new manhunt, Paula. You, you know what? She's our new Thomas Coyne. Yeah, she's probably dating Willie Geist. She's going to show up on Sunday today with Willie Geist on NBC, oh. uh, probably next week. So be looking for that, everybody. Uh, where the hell is she? Tony comes and goes. She's she's a free spirit. She's always she's, telling us how busy she is, that, you know, she has a lot of work um, and that she's very busy. And then, you know, and then we'll be talking and she, I, I don't know, she knows some ridiculous fact about some of the stupidest shows in the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like we'll mention some reality <laughs> show and she'll say something like, oh, I gave up on that after season 11. Yeah, exactly. So it leads me to believe that that maybe, you know what, maybe we need to get somebody on the show, a guest that's some sort of a time organizer, a life coach of some sort, perhaps. Yeah, yeah to help Tony Anita Hall when she's here. But that yeah. wouldn't be today. So since we can't talk to Tony. Um, uh, well, then in that case, we'll turn and go north to the Simi Valley to check in and see what's up with our good friend, producer, uh, your manager, Bonnie Burns. <laughs> Oh, and she's you know, missing too. Oh well, uh, I guess we can't talk no, to she's Bonnie. Not. Oh, she's right there. Yeah, 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 you're right. You know, hi, I Bonnie. Think those life, um, yeah, hi, Adam. I think those life coaches <laughs> are a bunch of bullshit. Like anybody who calls themselves a life coach. Bonnie, you used to have a friend that was a life coach, and you were always telling me shit that she said. No, because we were making fun of her. 
No, you know, you used to say that she said a to do list. Um, yes. When it's she too did. much can be a to don't list. You were like best friends with her. Well, we're not best friends now. <laughs> but, but here, no, the thing is, a big long to-do list, what did she say, is to-don't list, I think is She true. said it becomes a to-don't list, yeah. Yeah, it becomes a to-don't list. I know that's true oh, in your you house, You already buddy. made me lose my train of thought. I'm getting oh. it, I'm getting it, I'm getting Sorry. it. That is one slow uh, choo-choo. Here we oh, go, come life on. life coach. Yeah, those guys that are like life coaches, they don't ever know anything. And that woman was... How do you know that? Was she an organizer or something? But no, she was a life coach. Both she and her husband were out of work. Huh. When? Well. When she was a life coach. I don't know what she's doing now. I'm, I'm going to break precedent and agree with Bonnie Burns on this. I've known a couple of life coaches um, in my time, and a couple of them are really great people. But generally, one becomes a life coach when one doesn't know what to do with one's life. I'm not entirely sure that that's true, you guys. I would say that your sample size is small. No, but what makes somebody a life coach? Because Bonnie, what? for example, has a falling out with a friend who's a life coach. And the next thing she knows is that all of them are full of shit. So that's, yeah. Yeah, that's I would suspect. say that's, I'll, go, I'll go with you on that. I wouldn't have a friend that was a life coach. She was like an efficiency expert. No, she was a life coach, Bonnie. No, she wasn't a life no, she coach. Was, that's what you told me. I would not have a friend who's a life coach. I like my life. I don't need a life coach. I was in therapy I didn't say then. she was your life coach. I said she was a life coach. No, how am I going to have a friend who's a life coach? You did. You did. <laughs> She's got a point there, Bonnie. Bonnie, do you keep any kind of notes or a journal or anything about your own life? <laughs> because I seem to know a lot more about it than you do. Yes, you had a friend who was a life coach. I remember very distinctly. Oh, my God. I think you're kind of molding history. You're, you're handling history almost the way the governor of Virginia with the vest does. The okay. rain in Spain stays mainly on the plane. Oh, my God. Wow, what I'll tell happened? you something. I don't know, but that life coach who Bonnie's not friends with anymore got away yeah. with fucking murder. <laughs> Um, uh, all right. You know what? Listeners. Oh, Adam, what about you? What about me? How are you? I'm I'm doing fine, Paula. I recently traveled to New York and back with my whole family. And that was uh, a lot of fun. But I'll tell you something. um, That was so different than what you've done before when you used to just leave the little one in another state somewhere. So I love it (laughs) that you took the whole family. That's fantastic. No, I I, I never abandoned a kid. Uh, But my, my wife did abandon me. She had to come home earlier. So I had to fly the kids home myself. And it was a dawn flight and we had to hurry to get onto the plane. It was then that my son, you know, his blood sugar levels were crashing and he needed that sandwich that was right outside the gate that he didn't have time to buy. And, you know, you're not allowed to leave the plane, but way at the back of the plane where I was, the flight attendant guy said, you know, you have 11 minutes. You could totally make it, but you'll have to tell them that you accidentally left something outside the plane. And I did it. I went to the front of the plane. I said, I, sorry, I, I left something outside the plane. And they said, do you have everything that you entered the plane with? So that, you know, if they did have to leave without me, they could. And I thought to myself, well, I do have some luggage back there and two children. But I went, 
yeah, I've got everything with me. <laughs> and I went dashing down the gangway, picked up the cheese sandwich, got back with plenty of time to spare. But as I was getting back on the plane, it, it made me realize that as awesome as that made me as a dad to get my son a cheese sandwich, had the doors closed, I would have been the worst dad ever. Yeah, it was one of those moments where you feel like you've done something great and then you realize what the possible consequences to your actions could have been. Yeah, yeah, but you yeah. know, that's why I think it's great that you guys go on foster care airlines because <laughs> yeah, that's like one of those two birds with one stone things. And, yeah. and you know, that, who that, really that's, likes That's birds? our backup plan, yeah, foster mm -hmm. air. Yeah, that's fantastic. That is, yeah, uh, yeah that's a beautiful yeah. story. Listeners... If you go over to our Facebook page, you'll find what started as a beautiful artist's rendering of Adam's head, Tony Anita Hull's head, and Captain Crinkle's head. Each week, I'm going to ask each of them the meaning of a former nobody listens to Paula Poundstone vocabulary word, and for each correct answer, they will receive an additional body part until they have earned for themselves an invaluable portrait. Two weeks ago, they each earned a neck uh, my drawing of Adam's head, by the way, may not be completely accurate uh, because when I tried to draw him, I could not remember for the life of me if he had facial hair. He told me last week that he's had facial hair for the entire 20-something years that I've known him. Yes. And, and, I, and I responded, I'm sorry, who am I speaking with? Yeah, I, I think did. was my, my I have a lot and, of And I want to say, Paula, that this whole contest is now under protest officially. Why? Because now you're making me earn my facial hair, uh, yeah. you know, as an extra body part, which, you know, Bonnie and Tony don't have to do. Well, they can earn facial hair, too. I just don't think they'll want to. Okay. Well, yeah, we could. We have to have boobs. We have boobs. Maybe she'd make that the thing we have to earn. Why do you have to bring boobs into this, Bonnie? <laughs> I don't know. I just... <laughs> Was, you know, if you wanted to be and, completely and specifically yeah. yours, Everyone's, why are we these doing are, this? These are not nude portraits, Bonnie. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm going to start by asking Bonnie the meaning of a former nobody listens to Paula Poundstone vocabulary word. And to make it fair, I'm asking Adam Felbert to take your headphones off until I signal you back on Zoom. Uh, uh, okay. Taking them off right now. All right. Okay. Ready, Bonnie? I am, but just to clarify, do we have to earn our clothes, too? No, Bonnie, it is not a nude portrait. <laughs> no, you said it's not a nude portrait, so does that oh, mean oh, we have okay. to put our... No, well, okay, our, when you, I said you could earn a body part, like if you get an arm, <laughs> it will have a sleeve on it, okay? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bonnie's looking for vocabulary contest porn. Um, all right, Bonnie, ready? I'm ready. The word is insensate. Is that the one we had last week? Yes, it is. <laughs> no, it isn't. Is it? Yes, it is. I wish you'd picked Horlosh. That one I really know stuck with me all these years. Insensate is insensitive. I think you said that last week. It means... No. <laughs> No, it isn't the same word. The word last week was big. Uh, I, you know what? I'm going to say, I, I'm going to say, the word last week was not big. It was insensate. What? No, it was? The word last week was insensate. Okay. Um, it's, <laughs> Jesus. it's an adjective that means lacking sympathy or compassion, 
I, I guess I would say insensitive is close enough. Uh, I got that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so Bonnie Burns has earned, uh, I believe, a left shoulder. And before you ask me your next question, the left shoulder will have clothing on it. Okay, Adam Felber, are you ready? I am ready. I couldn't really tell much by the visuals this time. Last week, there was a riotous what was happening. This week, Bonnie just looked vaguely annoyed. Yeah. I didn't look uh, annoyed. I wasn't annoyed. Oh, maybe because she's trying to convince me that the word this week is the one we had last week. It is the one we had last week. Adam Felber. Adam Felber, this is for a left shoulder that will be clothed. Um, The word is insensate. Oh, yeah, insensate. We did that last week, and I (laughs) guessed that it was, uh, that it meant kind of insensitive. No, it was insensitive. It was insensitive. I guessed something else, but in fact, it means insensitive and unfeeling. It means, yes, it means, uh, it's an adjective that means lacking sympathy or compassion, unfeeling. Um, yeah. And uh, so uh, congratulations, Adam Felber, and congratulations, Bonnie Burns. You've both earned a left shoulder. And the fact that Tony Anita Hull is not here to have the opportunity to earn a left shoulder, you know, she made the choice to go wherever the fuck she went. And, and frankly, I, I'm a little insensate. On the topic of whether Tony Anita Hall receives a left shoulder or not. I'm uh, not sure that's right. a correct usage there, but... Um, I think it is. Uh, okay, uh, fine, fine, yeah. fine. You're, you're the yeah. vocabulary master. Yeah. Um, all right, congratulations, you guys. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Thank wait, you, Paula, wait, about- wait, wait. The word last week... Was insensitive. Was the one that one of the meetings was scanty, and it was no, an that was, no, that was no, two that weeks was ago. the week before, and the week oh. before that. Yes. Right. You lost some so time was, there, Bonnie. Oh, maybe I... Whatever. Exiguous was that word. Exiguous. Exiguous, yeah. right. Uh, yeah. Okay. But here we are. And by the way, that's where we are. But where are we going? I'll tell you. David Grinspoon said, humans are possessed to some degree with the power of foresight, yet we so often learn things the hard way through disaster. And that works for so many things, even though David was talking about his first marriage. We'll learn to navigate our own calamities when we come back. Now, a news update from the dental chair. Ike Lindell, the high hill guy, is going to run for the head of the RNC. This has been a news update from the dental chair. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because when Helix first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. 
That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions. Plus, enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, you know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. Hey, Paula. You know, every once in a while, we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. And I played I played Peter Quince. There. There's the connection. One of the mechanicals. That's a great connection. Also, yes, has nothing to do with this, which is that um, Quince is an online clothing store. And as you know, Paula, I've, uh, I've lost a little weight lately. Oh, right. 75 pounds. Yeah. So I literally have no clothes that are in my size until I just ordered some stuff at Quince. And I figured, like, here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself. A whole new image. And how's it going? 
Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got yes. the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got oh. the um oh it's so and I got the hundred percent European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. And these are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, thirty dollars a piece or starting at thirty dollars at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger. Ooh. And you know, I put them on when I came back from New York. I pulled them on and I, I swear to you, okay. This is not scientific because I was tired already. Right. But they were so soft <laughs> and, and so comfortable that honestly, like right as I got them up to my waist, I I, I think my eyes closed. They're so, it's a softness. It's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that too. Like so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And they're European. Keep that in mind. Uh, oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kinds. Of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. Quinn sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. Nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't <laughs> think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They man. cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. On this day in unremarkable history, Vincent van Gogh's brother Theo said, your glasses are crooked. (laughs) (laughs) And we are back. Thank you, house band Matt Evans. Oh, Matt, I want you to write an eccentric customized birthday tune for Paula when it's her birthday. I'll get in touch with you. Hey, uh, Paula Poundstone. Does that prospect scare you, or is there something else going on? Why, Adam? Do do you see this scared look on my face? I do. Do you see how my eyes are like saucers? Can, can you hear my heart pounding? Yes. There was just a volcano eruption in Hawaii not too long ago. Atlantic hurricane season is starting, and there have been a couple earthquakes around the world just recently. Disasters, Adam. There are lots of disasters, and I don't have a kit. I have a small sewing kit from fancy hotels, but I don't have a disaster kit. If if I'm trapped beneath the rubble of a fallen building and I happen to lose a button, I'm all set. But I can't survive. I don't know what you're supposed to do in a disaster. I don't know how to prepare. I think you need a big supply of cotton balls or moist towelettes or something. I'm not sure. 
I wish I had someone to ask, someone who could replace fear with knowledge on the subject of disaster response. I'm sure there's someone out there, but I'll never get a chance to talk to him. I'm just not that lucky. No, I, I, and I'm sorry, Paula, because usually, you know, you you set things up like that, and we turn out to have a guest who's coincidentally yeah. exactly that person. But well, I'm looking at, at, at who our guest this week is, and oh! Oh, I was wrong. Uh, reading this right here, it looks like we have a guest that might just be the expert you're looking for, Paula Poundstone. Well, that is just a coincidence and a flaky crust. That's right. She's a researcher and professor of emergency management and disaster science at North Dakota State University. How much more on the nose can you get, Paula, than what you're looking for? Please welcome Dr. Caroline Hackrett. Hello. Thank you so Thank you. much for joining us. And hopefully we have time to get this in before something horrible happens. What qualifies as a disaster? Are there criteria that make the government call something a disaster? Is there a list of events that just automatically fall into the category? No, we're actually pretty picky about that. Part of it is being academic. You have to be picky and you have something to argue about. But no, a disaster is substantially different than what we would term an emergency. And we use four criteria in order to determine what we're dealing with, what kind of event. And so the first one is the impacts. You know, are we talking about it impacted a family like a an apartment fire or a couple of families because they had a car accident or are we talking about you know the scope of a town or large neighborhoods and the number of people involved then the needs what does this event cause us to need uh, can we uh, respond with you know our trained first response agencies so who responds or who who comes to help makes a big difference. And if it can be your fire department and your public works department and your law enforcement and maybe your EMS and they can handle it, it's not a disaster. Oh, so when you have to go beyond local resources. Exactly. A disaster overwhelms the local resources and you have to bring in folks from the outside. And so how it's handled changes dramatically because those first response agencies, they know each other very well. They perform the same tasks and activities over and over and over again. They get that specific training. Well, in a disaster, you're talking about agencies that don't normally work together, perhaps doing tasks that they're not uh, specifically trained to do. And so that makes the biggest difference. So impacts, needs, who responds, and how it's handled. The water crisis in Flint, Michigan, or the water crisis in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, why aren't those considered disasters? Some people would argue that they are, especially using uh, the Pearl River flooding as an example for the Jackson, Mississippi water crisis. So what we have is it's a continuum correct? And you have a hazard event, which in Mississippi was heavy rains and the flooding. And as a result, you have their water infrastructure that has been neglected over a long period of time. This has happened multiple times. This has just gotten more attention than some of the earlier occasions. And you've got a large number of people impacted and the need for 
clean water, of course, there's not a greater need on earth than to have accessible clean water. So you could make a really good argument that that's actually a continuation of the flooding disaster. And what are the groups that go in uh, when there is a disaster that are the non-local groups? Oh, non-local groups? Well, that can be everything from nonprofits. You know, we always jump right into the Red Cross, right? And the Salvation Army. There's a lot of faith-based organizations. And there's a national organization called the National Voluntary Organization Active in Disasters. And so it's a very large coalition of these nonprofits and non-government agencies. And they all have a niche that they that they perform. And so they will they will show up. And the woman in Cleveland who watches it on CNN while holding her cat is likely to hop in a van and come down. <laughs> and wow. so you get a lot of spontaneous volunteers who are not necessarily affiliated with any kind of agency or organization. What about government agencies? Yes, you you also get that. First of all, you have your local resources mm-hmm. activated, right? You have your local fire department, you have your local public works, you have and then when it gets too large for that, then you go vertically up to your state level. And so if you need more resources than your state itself can provide, then we activate the federal. Now, your state governor has to call and request a disaster declaration in order to really get FEMA involved. And that's a step that in the past some governors have not activated. Now, why not? What, what, what's the downside for a governor getting FEMA involved? Is it, is it because they lose control? You know, I, I don't think that's it. I, I Honestly, I would hope that's not it. In Hurricane Katrina, there was confusion on who needed to make that request and the timing of that request. And so that was the horrible, horrible event that mm-hmm. I was referring to in, in my statement. But right. I would truly hope that a governor wouldn't insert politics into a disaster response. You would hope. A- am I right that you volunteered working on the Oklahoma City bombing disaster um, and were you just a regular person at that time, not a not a professor of oceanology? Uh, uh, is that I don't think you- that's a technical term, Paula. I think it is now. I'm so <laughs> going to put that now as my title. Um, I love that. Yes, I was a normal person who happened to work for the University of Oklahoma's athletic department at the time. But I had been a volunteer disaster responder with the American Red Cross for several years prior to that and had gone to house fires, tornadoes, hurricane, that kind of response. So yeah, it was it was a very different experience to respond to an event like the Oklahoma City bombing, where it was not a natural hazard agent. And, and to recognize that I was working within a crime scene was a very different experience. What did you learn from helping with that particular horror? The big takeaway for me was that love wins. And that we will only be able to address these events together and collectively. And all the 
things that we allow to separate us, they fade, at least for a, a small moment in time. <laughs> and, and we respond and we agree that the three things that have to happen in a response is we have to save lives. We want to protect property and, and as much as possible. And then we want to care for our environment and protect it too. And those are pretty universal and socially accepted goals of the initial response. And so we come together and we just do it. Um, in the Spider-Man movies, when like the Green Goblin shows up and the buildings like the girl slides out and... Is that a disaster? It sure looks like, I mean, so much damage is done. Well, <laughs> at some point, the mayor has got to be involved. And then the mayor rarely seems to take it up to the governor. And I never see FEMA in Spider-Man movies. Me either. That's really interesting. You never see any kind of recovery in those movies. They all just leave disaster in their wake. And they walk off in their leotards and act like it's all it's all taken care of now. Where do you stand on superheroes, Caroline? That's the big question here. <laughs> well, um, unfortunately, a lot of people have that expectation that there will be a superhero that comes in and it takes one really strong, smart, and typically it's a man, right, um, who can come and save the day. I like to tell you that usually in a disaster movie, though, it starts with a scientist being ignored. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And weirdly, that's true in life as well. You know, Chris Buckley once wrote, in public relations, you live with the reality that not every disaster can be made to look like a misunderstood triumph. To which a young Donald Trump replied, yeah, watch this. More disaster <laughs> management plus the return of our quote party when we come back. <laughs> The Cat of the Week is Trina from Terre Haute, Indiana. Hey, it's just me, Paula Poundstone. I don't want to bring you down by reminding you of why we need to laugh, COVID, but we do. Laughter could be practically prescribed by a doctor. Climate change. And there's something about the shared <laughs> emotional experience of being a part of an audience that makes the laughter that much more powerful. Kids, 99% of the time when someone types LOL, they're lying. You don't laugh out loud at stuff when you're alone. You acknowledge in your head that you think the thing you're seeing or hearing is funny. Depression. That's why television <laughs> shows use a laugh track. <clears throat> By the way, it was only recently that it dawned on me that the Flintstones couldn't have had a live audience. Loneliness. I'm not saying that I'm the only one who can provide this healing laughter, Trump, but I am saying <laughs> you need to get it somewhere. And it happens that I work in theaters all over the country. Nuclear war. Go to paulapoundstone.com and see when I'll be at a theater near you. Parallel parking. to talk to Trump. Talking 
to the former president can be difficult, but by practicing these suggested phrases in front of a mirror for just a few minutes a day, you'll be saying what you need to say to him with confidence in no time. Get a pen and a paper and write them down. Today's phrase is, we don't eat with Nazis. We're back with Dr. Caroline Hackred. <laughs> Paula? Caroline, what should we as individuals be doing before a disaster strikes? Because not to be a downer, but one's on its way all the time. Always. Of, yeah. So, so what should we be doing before? When you read a lot of the disaster preparedness literature and articles, they'll tell you that you need a lot of bottled water, you need two weeks of your medications. Yes, that's helpful because it's going to take 72 hours. You need to know that it's going to be 72 hours before you can count on somebody getting to you. In some of our more extreme events that are occurring more frequently now, you need to plan on about a week. Wow. A week? Yeah. And you have to plan. Nothing's better than having canned food and an electric can opener when you have no electricity. <laughs> so yeah. I got to tell um, you, at the moment, I live in a very, you know, a, a, you know, suburban looking but very highly populated area of Los Angeles. But if I had to wait a week for help, one of us in this family would have to be eaten. I would say in in L.A., the likelihood of you having to wait in a suburban area for a week would be lower than if you were in a more rural or mountainous area. Uh, just simply because of, yeah, because the resources in California are often centered within LA and hopefully they've been pre-staged to some extent. Well, that's a relief because uh, frankly, I think I'm the one who probably has the most meat on his bones. So, oh yeah. So they, yeah. they would, they yeah. would go for but, you first. Definitely. First, absolutely. absolutely. You know, I think I may put meat on bones as a new measurement of preparedness. I kind of like that approach. <laughs> Good idea. It's, it's a it's part of Maybe. a shitology. Um, speaking of, you said that stuff would be staged. That reminds me, how does someone who works in, uh, you know, at FEMA or, you know, in sort of a big disaster stuff, how do you keep your chops? How do they stay prepared? We have finite resources. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully, depending on the hazard event we're talking about or the hazard agent, it's much easier to pre-stage for a hurricane because we have amazing professionals at the National Weather Service and NOAA who are giving us great, you know, forecasting and cone of uncertainties, right? And we've learned. There has been learning, believe it or not. It just blows my mind what we haven't learned, but we have learned some things. I was just going to say, those cone of uncertainties can be ex extended with a Sharpie, I've learned. Um, no. And <laughs> you, can't no? Shoot, <laughs> you can't shoot a hurricane <laughs> and make it change direction either. Yeah, you can. I heard just, you can. Just letting people know that neither one of those <laughs> techniques works. <laughs> the Sharpie will not convince. What a gun culture we have. You know, when somebody as high up as, say, the president thinks that maybe we could shoot 
a hurricane like that. Just we are beyond redemption. Um, well, you you use the term cone cone of uncertainty. What yes. what what mm-hmm. is that? <laughs> I feel like I'm under it all the time. <laughs> well, I think we all are. But during a during hurricane season, they watch these storms develop off the coast of Africa, and so you know you have a very broad might come here, might go there, and that starts to narrow as the storm grows and that trajectory becomes more predictable. And they're very, very good. Now, some people say what they told us it was going to hit Tampa and it went to Fort Myers. That's amazingly accurate in terms of a prediction. (laughs) Um, So hurricanes are a different animal than, say, an earthquake being in LA, we are working, we being an imperial we, not me, but the USGS has many people working to try and get an alarm system to buy at least 30 seconds, a minute, you know, if we can get that even more than that, to give people an opportunity to, you know, get into a safe place to know that there's an earthquake. Um, I, Is that possible had, to, to, to have a minute's warning? They, it's called shake alert. And hmm. um, I should have looked more into it. I didn't realize well, I was going to get this question, but it's called shake alert. If they're anything like me and an alarm goes off, they'll just push the snooze button and they'll go, you know what? <laughs> I Give me, give me 10 more seconds of sleep. Uh, okay. Another 10 seconds of sleep. Um, wow, that's amazing that they could do that. And and I'm trying to think what I would do with a minute. You might avoid at your if you were in a bar that had the glass bottles all the way up the wall and lots of mirrors and swinging light. You might change your location. Uh-huh. Um, if you were the one that was awake and you had children sleeping in another area of the house, you might be able to get there and bring the family together as a unit because families respond as units and when they're separated um things don't go well yeah i would want to i would want to immediately get out there and like remove the shelves of uh you know heavy ornamental vases that we keep over both our kids heads you know because if (laughs) if there's going to be yeah that's a mistake uh that's a well well, no if i call if i've got a minute i can move i can move most of those vases is there something that we should do as a community to prepare for disasters? Is there something that we do as like a citizen, a voter, as opposed to, you know, whether or not I keep uh, tarps and water and canned foods here at the house? Is there something that we're supposed to do as a community? Thank you for this question. This is this would be the key takeaway. Um, a- A woman named Natalie Baker, Dr. Natalie Baker, came up with a term called guerrilla preparedness. And one of my colleagues at North Dakota State University, Dr. Jessica Jensen, um, came up with a term called distributed function, which means every single one of us has a role in this. The number one key to preparedness, response, and especially recovery is connection with one another. Uh, do you know your neighbors? Yeah. Do you have a network of friendly strangers? Because you may have all the bottled water you need, but your neighbor down the street has all the kitty litter. 
why would you need kitty litter? Because you're going to have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> and you want yeah. kitty litter. Right. Just letting you know. Um, oh, so, wow. For me, I'll want kitty litter for me. In a, and a five gallon bucket, probably. I have 10 cats. So, uh, <laughs> so the, the, the whole kitty litter, you know, seeking uh, task force will make their way to my house. Uh, no doubt. I'm going to rely on my neighbor Steve for everything because he seems to have everything in that garage. As long as his garage is still standing. That's a good point. Oh, wow. Um, all right. Yeah. So, so, so that that's one of the keys. It's it's who you just like the rest of life, right? It's who you know, and do those people have access to the resources that you're going to need, and what do you bring to the table? Okay, so that's that's key number one, but. We've got to talk about reality here, and I think we've really missed that boat in that there's a whole lot of folks who either adopt a, well, it's happening, but it's not going to happen to me approach, or it's complete denial that these things never happen, and especially when you layer on climate change, we are looking at more and more of these really severe events that are edging towards catastrophes, not just disasters, but catastrophes, which are different than disasters. They are? Um, Yes, they are. Very, (laughs) very different. Um, Because you have to really go outside for resources. The Haiti uh, earthquake, you know, we had over 2,000 international uh, organizations respond because Haiti had been, their infrastructure had been completely destroyed by that that event. But we need to mitigate and we need to mitigate for the disasters we're going to get, not the ones we can handle. So we need to really address sea level change. When you talk to people from the Department of Defense, they'll tell you that Norfolk is a mess. And what do you mean, Norfolk? One of the, the, Norfolk, Virginia? Yes. Is that a headquarters? Um, it's the largest naval base that we have, and they are having tidal flooding on a wow. regular basis. And they've identified that as one of the keys to national security. So if nothing else gets people to to open their eyes and really think about that, you would think Homeland Security might. And the fact that the Department of Defense is saying, look, we've got to start doing things differently. The other thing is we have to invest in this mitigation. It's not free. Yeah. We cannot engineer our way out of disaster. But for every dollar that we invest in mitigation, a new dam, upgraded infrastructure, changes in how we build homes, whatever that mitigation is, for every dollar that we spend, we get up to six to ten dollars back we save on response and recovery. Wow. You'd think that would uh, motivate some people. Frankly, it might motivate me. Yeah. Well, you're trying to convince, of all people, typically politicians, to spend money that they don't believe that they have to invest in projects to mitigate events that they don't believe are going to happen. Uh, Yeah, honestly. Wow. Put that way, it seems pretty bleak. Can you imagine (laughs) if we had been in a position to take the money that we've just put into um, these elections and put that towards 
the disaster preparedness and mitigation to begin with, uh, you know, if we didn't have Citizens United, blah, blah, blah. Um, all right. I glanced at the headline of an article on the Twitter sidebar. And by the way, you're not supposed to share information that way. You're supposed to read the whole article, but I never did. Yeah. I'm just confessing right you up front. You, you should have. We had an expert on to talk exactly I know, about that. I know. So I don't want to spread misinformation, which is I'm glad that you're here so you can maybe stop me from doing that. The headline yeah. of the article I saw on the Twitter sidebar said that the biggest natural disaster in our history is coming and that it will be in Southern California and like something out of the onion, it said it'll be a flood. I mean, it's just impossible to picture Southern California flooding because we are dry, 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 and we're constantly in um, drought. A, are you in your role aware that that of such a prognosis, number one? And number two, would it be stupid of me to buy a rowboat just in case? First of all, let me tell you that there's no such thing as a natural disaster. There are natural hazard agents, but it takes our society, it takes humans to make it into a disaster, truly. Oh. Because if this just happens where there are no people, we don't have a disaster, right? Uh -huh. Okay, off that soapbox. <laughs> I have not heard. <laughs> all right, then maybe it's not, I mean, maybe it's not true, because I would think they would call you first. Wait a minute. Uh, what I have read and heard and reviewed is the exercise that FEMA did up in the Northwest on a 8.1 earthquake that creates a tsunami, which would be flooding, right? Mm -hmm. And it oh. does, that scenario does shake uh, California and there would be a possibility of a large um surge or a tsunami in that area but the other thing in southern california is y'all have really had the drought right you've yeah. been paying that price year after year after year yeah. what happens with the with the layer of climate change is that drought becomes more and more severe and when you do get rain the ground can't absorb it uh -huh. So then you have flooding issues. Would it be helpful for us all to wear cleats all the time so that we are... Um, aerating? Yes, aerating. Thank you. Yes. That might work. But what I would suggest is that you look at the ratio and the changes that you're making in hard surfaces. In oh. Hurricane Harvey in Houston, uh -huh. um, you know, who expected Houston to get something like 54 inches of rain in 24 hours. But when you have that much pavement and that much concrete and asphalt, where's that water going to go? Yeah. So I would think in our urban areas, that's what we, you know, really need to look at, especially when you think about your city centers. Deeply urban areas have unique challenges. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'm doing anything to alleviate your fear, Paula. <laughs> no, no, this is good. This is helpful. Information is better than just plain fear. Information-stoked yeah. fear is better than just plain fear. Um, I don't know if you ever read Zaytun, the, uh, David Egger's book about a family in the Katrina hurricane where they were evacuated, but the dad stayed back and a friend of his, and they had a canoe, and they ended up rescuing people 
that the, you know, that the government agencies couldn't get to or didn't for whatever reason. And then they were arrested for being um, Muslim in the area. But nonetheless, prior to that, they, they did rescue people. And that's part of the reason I'm wondering if I had a rowboat, maybe I could yeah. uh, withstand some of the challenges of, of the flooding. I would say if you get a flood and you have a rowboat, I don't know you well, Paula, but I would guess you and the folks around you would hop in that rowboat and you would do exactly what those other folks did because the locals, the impacted, the survivors are truly our first responders. And it happens over and over again. And that form of altruism, I, I'm here, I have a boat, I can help. I'm going to help is a human response. And I would think that you would have that response. So if you want a rowboat, get a rowboat. I would get a rowboat, Paula. All right, I'm getting a rowboat. <laughs> also, if I go the other way and I decide to loot, I have, an, you know, I'm able to get from place to place with that as well. Yeah, you know. Okay. I haven't I'm totally not letting decide. that one go by either. <laughs> this whole thing about looting is so overblown that research has shown since 1954, that is, looting is so incredibly rare. It typically happens only in instances where there is no outside hope coming in uh -huh. mm -hmm. and that there's massive social inequity. So there's a, so a marginalized population. Now, a lot of what others will call looting is actually... I need bottled water. I, I've got to go into that store. I loved Honoré's uh, statement that you can't start with stupid. He uses an example from Hurricane Katrina that, you know, the guy who's carrying the 55-inch TV through <laughs> gator-infested waters is not the one that we need to be concerned with. You know, right. that one has other issues. And it's rare. So you loot, we shoot folks who won't leave their front porch after being given an evacuation um, order. Holding on to these myths really kills people. Yeah. Yeah. Did you hear that, Steve? Steve, if you're listening to this one, looting doesn't happen. Leave your garage unlocked. I just wanted some ramen. <laughs> <laughs> It wouldn't be called looting, and it wouldn't even be viewed as stealing. You would be appropriating yes. um, key resources. See, Steve, and resources, guess, key resources. And Steve wouldn't mind, especially if he's the one that's trapped underneath the tree in his front yard, and you have reappropriated his chainsaw. He probably will not mind. Exactly. Yeah. That'll teach him to hoard, hoard ramen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Caroline, as great as this had been, if our listeners need to know more, is there some sort of resources? Are there some books that you can recommend so that people can, so that my neighbor Steve can understand that he should unlock his garage and let me have whatever I need? <laughs> oh, yes, Steve, there are two books you need to read. Um, okay. No, the, the first book that I think everyone should read because it explains disasters in a way that we all experience them and talks about that mitigation, the preparedness, all of it. It's called Disasterology. And it's written by Dr. Samantha Montano. And she does a great job of explaining what we what I've touched on here. And it's easy, it's an easy read. 
it's fascinating. She's funny. It, it's a great voice. The other one, because and I you think wanna, there you are wanna a lot You want to read of, it, I guess, before the disaster so that you don't spend <laughs> that 72 hours <laughs> reading the disasterology book when it's really too late. Uh, so well, yeah. What else are you going to do? You got 72 hours to go. <laughs> well, well, then in those 72 hours, here's another book you might read. All right. Oh, good. It's good, good. by Dr. Catherine Hayhoe. And she's a climatologist. And a lot of folks are confused, I think, and they get a lot of disinformation and what feels like conflicting information about climate change and it's inter how it intersects with disasters. And she wrote a book called Saving Us, and it does an excellent job of putting a really difficult uh, branch of science, climatology, making it accessible to all of us that did not get a PhD in climatology. And so I would I would recommend that one highly as well. Terrific. I would too. I would read anything written by somebody named Hey Ho. Uh, oh my gosh. Sure. It's such a great name. Isn't that awesome? Hey Ho. It? Yeah. Hey, Caroline, <laughs> that was excellent. But what we're going to do now is we are going to take all this information you gave us and run it through the old Pounstonator. Paula? House band Matt Evans bringing it on the electric guitar. Thank you so much. Matt, if I could have a little more for background, I'll tell you what the old Pounce spit out. <laughs> Dr. Caroline Hackrett, disaster expert, thank you so much for coming to our rescue. Science tells us that even though we don't ever think a disaster is going to happen to us, it's going to happen to us. The time to prepare is now. I was just working in Florida, and when I was walking through a parking lot, I saw a car with a kayak on the roof. Now, usually uh, someone straps an upside-down kayak to the roof of their car, but this one was kind of face-up. I think it was so that if, if the sea rise happens while they're driving, they can just climb out of their car window, sit in the <laughs> kayak, cut the ropes, and paddle away. <laughs> it's, it's with some shame, Caroline, that I have to admit that after 30 years in this neighborhood, I, I, I don't really know many of my neighbors. No one really seems drawn to talking to me. I mean, they don't run at the sight of me, but I do think they peek out their windows for an all-clear before they come out. We had neighbors right beside us that we really loved, but they moved to Seattle many years ago. I think listeners have heard me speak of the current occupants occasionally. They're the people who had the one-story home that, that they tore down and spent four years building a monstrosity <laughs> that towers over my rental shack. For, for four years, every last detail of that house was built with a jackhammer and a cement saw. I, I, I think that's why it took four years. They kept making cement mistakes. Oops, got to take that cement out again. Then their workers used to stand on my compost enclosure to reach high cement with their jackhammer. They broke the lid and got chunks of cement throughout my mulch. Then they mounted their enormous air conditioning unit right outside my bedroom. If I do get a robo and we do have a flood, those neighbors will be the last ones that I rescue. As I row past, they'll be up on their roof. I'll be back. I have to get the one-story people first. Hey, I have an idea. Pretend you're sleeping. No, I'm serious. <laughs> Pretend you're sleeping. Are your eyes closed? Okay. 
Remember that sound? How do you like it? Four fucking years! I'll be back. Just wait there. Then I'll go to my decent neighbors. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. I've made you each a survival kit. There's bottled water. Use it sparingly. There's a nobody listens to Paula Poundstone hooded sweatshirt. It's a podcast. What, what do you mean you've never heard of it? it it's a comedy podcast. I, I've never been very good at describing it. We usually interview someone with real information to share. It's a comedy podcast, though. Our listener, Bondi S., says it's the best possible waste of time. Brian Defoe <laughs> says it's like James Joyce's Ulysses, but funnier and less comprehensible. That reminds me. I just want to yell up to the rich people on top of the giant mansion. Hey, you guys! <laughs> Do you have a copy of Ulysses you can get to? Good. Start reading it. I'll be there towards the end. Okay, so also in your survival kit, I've given you each some Reese's sticks, some Ruffles potato chips, and some Diet Pepsis. What do you mean you can't survive on that? I've been doing it for over a year. Yes, you can. How many of you have seen Titanic? See? If you can get through watching that movie, you can survive a disaster. We're going to get through this. This is when neighbors pull together and help one another. This is when unbreakable bonds are welded. This is when... Yes, you wanted to say something in the back of the boat there? You want to get out. Oh, okay. I'll take you back to your house that's underwater. Anybody else? All of you. Okay, okay. She's a researcher and professor of emergency management and disaster science at North Dakota State University. Let's hear it for Dr. Caroline Hackrod, everybody. Yeah. Yay. Caroline, thank you so much. Thank you, Caroline. This is wonderful. Thank you very much. Uh, hey ho, till we see you later. <laughs> thank y'all. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Coming up, a wise man once said, get ready for our quote party. In fact, that wise man was me. Just now, and yes, Quote Party is next when we come back. Fun fact, the best place in the world to see rainbows is in Hawaii. Not that the rainbows are better there, but you're in Hawaii. We're back. Thank you, house band Matt Evans. Yay. Hey, Paula. It's the holidays, isn't it? It is, Adam. You know, Adam, in our family, we have a tradition. What's that? We sit around the holiday table and we do what we call a quote party. Which oh, my is God. Where, which is where my son says to my daughter, you said... Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no, 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 no. Not that kind of quote party. That's a traditional holiday thing where you take things that other people have said and throw it back in their faces. That's throw not it the in kind their of, face. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. you said. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the kind of quote party I'm talking about. I'm talking about a, a rich, uh, it's a Felber family tradition. Oh, I remember 
all the years we'd gather around the Christmas tree and my dad would say, we're Jewish. What the fuck is that tree doing in here? <laughs> oh, that is such a warm memory. Yeah, and then That's... my mom would laugh and say, well, as long as we're here, let's share famous quotations with each other and discuss them. Oh, boy, nothing brings a family closer or uh, a group of podcasters in this case. That's right. Adam. What? Do you hear that sound? Yes, I do hear a sound, Paula. It's, it's like a, a scratching. Yeah, Paula, do you... Paula, open your door. Oh, for God's sakes. It's Tony. <laughs> Tony Anita Hull? It's a holiday miracle. And Tony, Yay! you're going to be so excited, Tony. You're here just in time for quote party. <laughs> She's in a rowboat. That's Tony, oh, thank God you're okay. So let's do that this holiday season. Let's all gather around, and it's time for quote party, everybody. Hey, Yay! who do we start with? Wait, 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 wait. Oh, oh we, my why gosh. Why are we waiting? We got a quote party, a quote party, a quotey, 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 quote party. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the theme song for Bonnie Burns. Uh, here's what, what happened. Bonnie, I, sometimes I have to point out your musical influences when they're really strong. I know. I think what happened in this one is that you you stole the tune of Hello, Dolly. <laughs> yeah. And then somewhere along the time in the middle, your song died. I know. And then she did a weird, like, Carol Channing at the very end. Yeah, where it started yeah. 100% like Louis Armstrong. It was like, we got a quote party. A yeah. quote party. And then Bonnie's like, oh, my God, I don't know where it goes after this. Okay, wait, yeah, let, let me try it again. Because I rehearsed it. Really? No, no, that's okay. That's good. That's good. That's good. Magic and feedback, everyone. Yeah, no, don't. Oh, okay. No, you're fine. <laughs> it was great. It was fantastic. It was so good. <laughs> so good. What I meant to okay, say next time was. Okay, we do it, I'll so try good. to be better. No, no, don't. Don't worry about that. I think we have that one recorded and we can. You don't have to read. I mean, you're never we'll, we'll going to outdo that. We'll fix it in Let's post. Let's be honest. Is, yeah. 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 <laughs> fix it in post. Oh, fix it. It was unbelievable. It it's was. nothing to fix. You're right. I, it was the best I've ever heard it. <laughs> and I, with that, Paula, what's your quotation that you're bringing us today? I found one about writing. There are three rules for writing a novel. Unfortunately, no one knows what they are. <laughs> and that's from Somerset Mom. That's fantastic. Yeah. I think he was a guest on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me at one time, wasn't he? I believe he was not. But I can tell you that he was referenced in a Leave It to Beaver episode. Was he? Yeah. In what way? I, I, and Ward said something over the, at the dinner table. They were doing a quote party, I'm sure. It was a holiday. Um, uh, Ward said something to them about Somerset Mom, And then Wally said, yeah, th that's... That's what somebody would say named Somerset. Like he kind of made a, you know, a oh. name joke about a name joke. So, and then, well, I, and then, I, and then June said, "Hold on a minute," and she said, "We've got a quote party." <laughs> wow. June belted. Quote party. Quote 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 party. <laughs> I don't know. He, he, was, he, was, uh, he was so good on Wait, Wait. Yeah, I don't think he was on Wait, Wait. Because I was very enchanted. <laughs> oh, no, no, I beg to differ. Um, okay, uh, let's move on. <laughs> I'm going to save Bonnie for a little while. Let's go to Tony Anita Hall. 
Uh, Tony, what do you have for our quad party? <laughs> it's so jarring every time you people do it. Okay. My quote comes from Minnie Pearl. Uh, Ooh. Yeah. Kissing a man with a beard is a lot like going to a picnic. You don't mind going through a little bush to get there. Eek. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. That suddenly makes me self-conscious about my beard. I have a feeling that this quote was originally not about a beard, and it was said too many Pearl. <laughs> oh. I was thinking the same thing. Oh, I didn't think anybody would go there. But, Tony, with that in mind, with, with, with some man saying this too many Pearl, would you read your quote again? I know that beard is in quotation marks. Go ahead, Tony. Uh, please read it again. Yeah. Tony. Okay, I'm trying. Tony, please. Okay, I'm trying. Kissing a man with a beard is a lot like going to a picnic. You don't mind going through a little bush to get there. <laughs> yeah, it's better that way, Paula, unquestionably. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was that was done in the proper code of the time. Uh, I thought it was... Boy, Tony is really... <laughs> she's, she's really... Gotta come into her own, so to speak. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, Tony's uh, Tony's living large right now. Um, mine comes from legendary record producer Jimmy Iovine, who I've never known how to pronounce his name. I think it's Eovine or something, but he's a legendary record producer. And, and, Ivo, and he wrote Ivo, this kind of, it's Jones. Iovine. It's Iovine. 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 Bonnie would know because Bonnie has uh, worked in the music industry before. She did. She produced. I think executive produced. Uh, was it Don Kirshner's rock concert? It was, but I just produced. Yeah. I'm not that old. Yeah, she didn't exactly. But you're right. You we hung out with that guy, Jimmy Ovine. Was he a good guy? Because he was a gifted producer. Yeah, he was a really good guy. I think he had a brother. Well, boy, that's a fascinating <laughs> bit of information. He did he found a brother. In, Interscope Records, which is cool. He, yeah. So he said this, it's about audio, so I thought that we as a group would really enjoy this because it's somewhat instructive, I think. He said, you're only as good as your weakest link in the ecosystem of sound of audio. I think... There was another line to that that got cut out. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's, all, all it's that a super quote. passive aggressive quotation. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like in the world of comedy, it would go like this: the audience sucked. <laughs> <laughs> for, they sucked for me. Yeah. Yeah. How was how was your show? The audience sucked. <laughs> yes, many a many a subpar comedian subscribes to that. But it is true that guys, when we're recording this show, we lift each other up. That's what we do. Here. Oh wow! What do we do? What? Yeah. 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 Nothing, Bonnie. We don't do anything. Bonnie. No, I was just wondering if you wanted to run downstairs to the couch and get your hearing aids. <laughs> the one that got vacuumed up got saved, you know. I thought that was pretty good. That I was willing to yep. go through the trash. I found that thing, okay. and then right. it ended up working with a little adjustment. Okay, now, Bonnie, you're referencing a segment of a previous show at this point, so. Oh, when my hearing aid got... 
think listeners know that Bonnie's hearing aid was vacuumed up at one time. I think that's common knowledge throughout the United yeah. States. But Bonnie, yeah. as long as we have your attention, I think I'm the just amazing gonna... thing is that it made it through the blender. I think that was yeah. Yeah. Bonnie Maybe. has a tendency to put her hearing aids in electrical appliances within her home. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I worry about them in the lava lamp there behind her. You know yeah. what? They're really hard to find. They, like, blend in. They're teeny tiny. They're really hard to find. But they'll be easier to find once you find your glasses, which are arguably harder to find when you're uh, looking for them. That's true. Okay. All right. So my quote <laughs> is from Jan Winner, who founded Rolling Stone magazine, and he's just written a memoir called, like, A Rolling Stone. And the, the quote is about Rupert Murdoch who was big media mogul and founded Fox. Here's the quote. And evil. He's just evil from start to finish. Yeah. The quote is, he made Goebbels look replaceable and gave us Trump. Yeah, it's very perceptive. Thank you, Jan. I thought that was pretty clever, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, it's kind of a bring down. (laughs) I know. Um, I debated about if I should do a Goebbels (laughs) quote. Something no, about Goebbels well, in this show. For one, I think it's pronounced Goebbels, but um, well, I looked uh, it up, two- and they went go g o dash b l z. Oh, live and learn. You brought up Trump, and then brought Goebbels into the conversation. And where did you think we were going from there? Mangala. <laughs> <laughs> And that, everybody, has been the very, the very last uh, quote party. Quote party. It's a quote party. It's so nice to have a party with some quotes. What about Goebbels? Can you hear it? What? You can't hear that? Did I hear? Joseph Goebbels. I'm playing the pronunciation of Goebbels. Joseph Goebbels. Oh, for God's sake. It's Goebbels. Hey, Paula. Joseph Goebbels. I think it's Goebbels. <laughs> Joseph Goebbels. And when we stop it's arguing Goebbels. over... Joseph Goebbels. <laughs> I think it's Goebbels. Joseph Goebbels. It's Goebbels. <laughs> Joseph Goebbels. Yeah. Oh, you... No, you, here's the you thing. Know, to, to quote another Louis Armstrong song, you say Goebbels, and I say Goebbels. You say... <laughs> Let me tell you something. Turtles, and I say turtles. <laughs> Turtles, Bonnie's, turtles, Bonnie's brought up Goebbels, an interesting. Goebbels. Joseph Goebbels. Bonnie's brought up an interesting point. Joseph Goebbels. Goebbels himself said that it was Goebbels, but the guy lies. Right. Yeah. Hey, nobodies, if you have questions or comments, drop us a line at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. And Paula Poundstone, let me put this important holiday question to you. What's going on in your Poundstone product empire this week? Adam, things are going swimmingly at Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated. But that's not why I have this fishbowl in my hands. As you know, I used to talk so much about what theaters I was appearing at and what merchandise listeners could purchase at PaulaPoundstone.com. It was easily half the show. Sometimes. Ask Heidi. Well, I have come up with a way to streamline the process. On each of these little pieces of paper in this bowl, I have written a piece of information. It could be about a product I sell or a show I'm doing or your other podcast, Dad Band Land, or a piece of trivia. I'm going to pull a few and read them, and that's it. It's simple. It's painless. 
And to make it a little more interesting, I've also included a folded up $100 bill, which if I pull it out, will go to a random listener whose name I will point to with my eyes closed on this random listener list. Today's name is Tim Steele. Tim, if you're listening randomly, if I pull the $100 bill, it goes to you. So here we go. All right. On Friday, February 10th, I'll be in Salt Lake City, Utah at the Gene Wagner Theater. See how easy that is? Friday, February 10th, Salt Lake City. Go to paulapoundstone.com to find my tour schedule and tickets. Here's another. Someone who walks or dances on stilts is called a Mako Jumbi. Well, that's good to know, isn't it? Because that could come up and, and you don't know when that could come up. So that's good. Here's another one. On Saturday, February 18th, I'll be in Morristown, New Jersey at the Mayo Performing Arts Center. So go to paulapoundstone.com to find my tour schedule and tickets. It's so simple, so clean, so pure. Gee, I'm sorry, Tim Steele. That $100 bill has to be in here somewhere. Yeah. And I'm sorry, Adam Felber. I can't believe I haven't found the piece of paper that says Dad Band Land is Adam Felber's other podcast. It's a music commentary podcast from the point of view of a neighborhood cover band. Let me try one more time. I'm going to I'm going to make this work. Here we go. Ah, oh, I thought for sure. No, this one says you can get worm castings or worm poop for $4 per pound plus shipping by emailing me at paula at paulapoundstone.com or for $30 plus shipping. You can get the How the Heck Does She Do It package where you get a pound of worm waste and I make you a video showing some part of my worm farming process and introduce you to the worm that I name after you. Email me at paula at paulapoundstone.com. That's it. That's it. That's, that's the whole thing. That's fantastic, and and so so brief. I, I'm sure Heidi will be happy. Um, oh, I, and, and I, I wish you could have mentioned Dad Bandland because we just did this episode where our listeners wrote in the songs that like blew them away from the first time they heard it, and it was a lot of great input. But maybe next time, maybe next time. Muskrat All love. Right. A lot of yeah, a lot of people writing about muskrat love. Uh, you know what? That was not mentioned. Huh? Yeah, blew huh. me away should, when I should have written. It. In. Yeah, never right. even occurred to me that they had love. I just. You know, I thought it was just sex for for breeding, for reproduction's sake. I think for a lot of muskrats it is. I think these just so happen to be very, very sensitive muskrats. A lot of them are toxic narcissists. <laughs> yeah. You know what? A lot of muskrats are insensate. That's they what are. I find. They are. And, 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 and if a sensitive muskrat hooks up with, that, with one of the insensate ones, you know, they're oh expecting cuddling afterwards. They're not going to get it. Yeah. Oh, oh, that, yeah. that, yeah, that is so it's disappointing. Wham, bam, thank you, muskrat. Okay, well, remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, maybe drop a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. We'd love that. Anyway, it's free. And if there's a subject or topic you'd like to know about, tell us at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly. I'm Adam Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Caroline Hackridge. Yeah. She wasn't a disaster. Thanks to our house band, Matt Evans. 
And our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Julie Berkabian. Edited by Vic Lowry. Starburns production by Land Romo. Transcription services for the show provided by TranscribeMe, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? Yeah, I once dated a muskrat. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking, like, I really never, it never occurred to me that the pain that a sensitive, loving muskrat oh, yeah. um, would feel hooking up with an insensate uh, muskrat, and it would, it really would have changed that song. Yeah, because then, there, you know, it would be one of those painful Alanis Morissette-style breakup songs rather than yeah, uh, the... Yeah, exactly. Somewhat saccharine Captain and Tennille muskrat love thing that, that we all know and love. Wait a minute, wait a minute, saccharine? Back up, back up. What? What's saccharine? Isn't that? Aren't you suggesting that it's sugary and not good? Uh, uh, no, I don't know. I meant, I meant that you should check yeah, your dictionary. There's that other meaning of saccharine, which means quality moving pop song. I'm surprised to hear you speak of it in a negative way because. Isn't your podcast a deep dive into music uh, um, from the po- point of view of a neighborhood um, cover band? A cover band? Yeah. 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 It yeah, is. So, uh, yeah. It's huh. confusing that I would even say anything that would in- intimate that that Muskrat Love is not a high quality classic of modern music. It's a fantastic song, Adam. It changed my life. Did it really? Yeah. What was your stance on Muskrats before that song? Um. I just, I never really thought of them having deep relationships. And oh, wow. Are you, are you crying, Paula? Well, it's part of the reason I always thought of myself as a muskrat, because I was okay. aware that I would never have deep relationships. Oh, Paula. Yeah. Oh. So Your had, muskrat is out there somewhere, Paula. We had joy. We had fun. We had seasons in the sun. God, those were good years for music. <laughs> Starbanks Avenue, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.